Welcome to the Renee Frazier Show, Why Women. On this show, we talk about issues faced by women. And in today's world, we have many factors that are influencing our choices and our lives. I wanted to focus this show on how we create strong, intelligent, and bold girls, particularly in this world of the pandemic or post-pandemic, as we see the decrease in the cases of Omicron. And we see many, many, many vaccinated individuals. I think we all realize that this has been a difficult time for women and for men. We're all suffering through some of the very difficult phases we've seen. I had a recent colleague describe it as three rivers that are coming at us. One is certainly the mental health and the health consequences of COVID-19 that we all feel. I have had a lot of friends and one of my daughters and her children have had COVID and I saw how hard it was on their family for about eight days. That's one, the mental health and the physical health consequences. The second part of the river coming at us is the racial reckoning that we're seeing in this country, a real recognition as we see brown and black people suffer more with COVID-19 and some of the systemic uh, racism that we see in our system has become much more evident and very difficult to unroot. And of course, we have uh, had a Black Lives Matter reckoning as a result of the George Floyd murder and recently the Aubrey case. That third river that comes at us is the economic impact. We're in a time where inflation is rising. Of course, we're at a period where there's a possibility of war in Ukraine. But the economic impact has also included the great resignation. People fed up with the jobs, not having flexibility in their lives, recognizing that working from home is a more vital opportunity for them to be with their family and to be a whole person. All of these factors are influencing men and women. Today, we're going to be talking about how we can raise strong young women in this context. I have as a guest with me, Dr. Kim Cronister. She's a licensed clinical psychologist, and she is executive clinical director of Key Transitions. Key Transitions is a Los Angeles-based teen treatment center. She's a Psychologist, as I mentioned, an author, a media commentator. She's going to bring us a perspective on issues regarding substance abuse, eating disorders, personality disorders, and other issues that we see our teens addressing. Before she gets started, I want to mention two things. One is a positive thing. We saw that the girls' soccer team, the women's soccer team, won the pay equity case. Kudos to them. And then secondly, I want to mention, and I know uh, Dr. Kronister will also mention this, there is a national helpline for suicide and mental health help. The number is 1-800-662-HELP, which is 4357. 1-800-662-4357. It's a 24-7 service that's available and they route you to someone in your community that can help you. Uh, so it's a service that I know people will want to be aware of. But in the meantime, I want to talk with Dr. Cronister about the issue. Welcome to our show, Dr. Cronister. It is such a pleasure and such an honor to be here with you today. Thank you. Let's start by talking about kind of an overview of the situation that we're in. Uh, and we're now heading into March 
of 2022. We've been living with the pandemic almost three years. People are realizing that we're not going to go back to any situation that we might have considered, quote, normal. We're in a new reality, the, the new normal. And I think we're all adapting to that. Tell me what you're seeing in the lives of the patients coming in to, and the clients coming in to your center. Absolutely. So originally during the pandemic, we definitely had an influx of clients coming in. And at that time, there were a lot of Zoom sessions being had. And it really was sort of a collective trauma. And now we're, we're coming out of it. We're seeing the drug use decline, the alcohol use decline a bit, but such a high spike in eating disorder behaviors, substance use issues during the pandemic. And that really has come out through the wash now that we know the statistics. Um, so luckily, like I said, we're seeing the drug use and alcohol use decrease, but we're still seeing the effects of the trauma of that pandemic, the isolation, the boredom, the agitation, the irritability is something that's not talked about a lot, but that irritability can actually cause a lot of havoc in the family household. So maybe the siblings are affected by someone that's maybe conduct disordered or having behavioral issues in the house. Um, same thing with parents, or you'll start modeling it after the parents, just a lot of frustration, agitation, the boredom piece. Now we're coming out of that a little bit, but we're still seeing the residue, the residuals of the depression, the anxiety, the agitation, and then subsequently some eating disorder behaviors and substance use issues. Uh, people are more open to now coming out to outpatient treatment and being involved a little bit more in the community. So there are some signs, the prognosis is better for a lot of people that way. Um, but we're still seeing a lot of that residual piece that needs to be remedied. And really, even, even when it's not a pandemic, we're still seeing issues like social rejection, trauma mm -hmm. that adolescents go through. Sometimes they're re-traumatized by social rejection, breakups, bullying. I mean, this can be very normative during adolescent years, but right. it's something the most wonderful, most consistent parent can't necessarily remedy on their own. And that's why they usually come to, to us. Yeah, the environment the kids are growing up in is a difficult one. And social media has obviously had a very big impact on people. We'll, we'll kind of break it down and talk about each one of these in the next hour. I think it's very clear that young people have endured isolation, exposure to adversity, and a lot of traumatic events uh, during this COVID-19 pandemic. I know that a lot of school systems have adapted to that, tried to offer more mental health services, but it's also important for parents to know they can go for individual help. Um, I, I'm, I'm uh, pleased to hear that there's been a reduction in some of the substance abuse is what I'm hearing you say, but unfortunately, uh, eating disorders are still very prevalent. Now, I have to say it's my perception that uh, eating disorders, uh, bulimia, very and anorexia, uh, very common among young girls. And uh, one of the reasons that I read about it in the literature is uh, the images we see of ourselves uh, and the emphasis on being thin in particular for young girls in terms of beauty. Can you talk about the, the conditions that you hear and what you think are some of the factors that cause uh, the eating disorders that you see in your clinic? Absolutely. So there are a lot of factors. It is very individualized. But if I speak to some of the themes, um, a lot of times people will want to use it as their, their voice, especially if they're teenagers or early 20s, because women tend to be more assertive with age. So that can be their voice is to act out or control something like they're eating. It can also be a product of trauma. It can be a product of sexual trauma, bullying, 
Um, it can be a product of seeing a role model or someone in their household be hyper-focused on their, on their right. own Right. So the image. mother's uh, hyper-focused. You know, in my family, I have three grown daughters with children. And uh, if I talk at the dinner table about the fact that I'm trying to lose weight, they shake their head at me uh-huh. and that, you know, they put their finger to their lips or quietly pull me aside. Uh, they don't want me to talk about losing weight or trying to be thin or achieve some level of attractiveness based on that. Uh, it has to be related to energy or uh, something else because they don't want to influence the their daughters and sons in that way. Because that's what you mean, right? If a parent is yeah. really emphasizing how they look and, and parents can be mean sometimes to their kids, right? Like, oh, uh-huh. that doesn't look good on you. Or, and to themselves you... and to themselves in front of them. Yes. And themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. So the kids take that on, don't they? They do. And I want to say you can be the most well-intended mom or dad. And this can be the thing because it's so easy to read your, your nonverbals. It's so easy for kids to pick up on. So there's no shame in the fact that you, if you struggle with that or that you hyper-focus on weight at times, but fortunately, you know, hopefully you're working on that in individual therapy or working on it to keep it away. Like you're doing with your kids. Gen Z's actually been quite amazing with their body positivity. I think I've seen much more good than bad on that. Um, they've really been doing some shaming of people who body shame. So they kind of keep themselves in, in check for the most part. But that doesn't negate the issue of still the over-sexualization that we see on social right. media. And now the, the girls think that their identity needs to be that at times. And that's where we get into trouble. So we go into the remedies of maybe being respected by their male peers and maybe being more into sports or doing something that's building a skill so that they don't have to overcompensate with being over-sexualized, because that could be another another way for them to want to get into an eating disorder behavior. So taking that apart, I think uh, what I'm hearing you say is uh, emphasizing for girls activities where they can feel a sense of confidence and accomplishment, uh, engaging in a sport, being involved maybe in theater, uh, joining a glee club or a song group gives them a sense of satisfaction and recognition for who they are independent of their body type, right? Correct. Correct. So we recently just got a female into jujitsu. She was doing great in uh, an organized sport, um, but she felt like they weren't edgy enough for her. They just weren't, she wasn't resonating with her personality. So she fell away from it. So we wanted to get something maybe where the people are maybe sober or living a healthy lifestyle who are also a little bit edgy and jujitsu was perfect for that. And now the added bonus of the skill building is huge on confidence. It sounds very simplistic, but if you get them into a new skill building activity, um, ice skating, jujitsu, whatever it is, right. it'd be really incredible for their, their self-esteem. Hold on, Dr. Kronister. I want to talk more about this in our next segment. You're listening to the Renee Frazier Show, and we're talking about in these difficult times, what can we do to raise strong girls? What are the factors that are influencing them? Dr. Kronister is from Key Transitions. She is a clinical psychologist. And I want to talk about how bullying and trauma can lead to eating disorders, what that psychological connection is. So stay tuned to the Renee Frazier Show. Welcome back to the Renee Frazier Show. Today we're talking about how we can help our daughters be stronger in this very difficult world that we're facing. And we're talking with uh, Dr. Kim Cronister who's a clinical psychologist with Key Transitions. 
And she's been sharing this with us, the fact that they're seeing greater incidence of certain issues like eating disorders. And I was surprised to learn that eating disorders can be related to bullying or trauma. Can you explain that to us, Dr. Chronister? What's the connection? How does that happen? What's happening with the young girl that she chooses an eating pattern? Is it taking control? Is it fighting back? What's happening? Yeah, so there are all sorts of traumas. There are going to be micro traumas, complex trauma, as you know. Um, a lot of times there'll be trauma early on that can be re-triggered. Um, even if they have a sense of a strong sense of support, let's say with the primary caregiver, once they're rejected by peers, which is so critical at this time, they really are needing that external validation, unfortunately, at this time. Yes. Their old traumas can start being re-triggered. Um, so what happens is a lot of times with the anorexia, let's say, um, they may want to disappear. So maybe they've been bullied or maybe they've been traumatized sexually. They want to disappear. And so their way- thinness, I'm just trying to mm-hmm. really understand this. They want to disappear in the sense they don't want to be noticed and that visible to people. And by mm-hmm. making themselves thinner, mm-hmm. they feel like they're fading into the background. They're not seen. I mean, that's really what it's, it is initiating it. And it's due to some kind of bad experience they had early in their childhood. Yeah, interpersonally, typically. Now, that's just one of the factors for an eating disorder. The binge eating, it can be very, you know, emotional eating. They can be bored. They can be lonely, and they're trying to self-soothe that way. They can feel like they've been abandoned in some way or disappointed in some way. Um, There's so many different uh, variables there that we don't pinpoint one thing for everyone, but that that tends to be the trend, like you said. Um, Same thing with anorexia purging type. So they could be restricting food and restricting so much that... They're still in that anorexia category, but they're also purging, whether that's over-exercising or actually um, purging with induced vomiting. Uh, And then binge eating disorder is actually in the DSM now. So that that is a category Uh that is validated now by the DSM manual for for psychiatry. uh, That's the book that categorizes the different kinds of uh, mental illness and uh, situations. Uh, You know, when I think about trauma and bullying, I have had some personal experience with that with friends. And one is the sense of abandonment. Mm -hmm. What I don't think our listeners realize is even a divorce in a family mm-hmm. can cause that feeling of abandonment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, the divorce causes one of the parents to move out of the house. Often it's the father uh, and or there's great fighting in the household and there's not a divorce, just a, the father decides to leave and live somewhere else. Children tend to take that upon themselves. I did something wrong. He doesn't want to be with me. It's my fault. What did I do? And parents don't even know sometimes that's going on in the child's head and it stays with them. And I think what you're talking about with triggering are incidents where then uh, I'm just going to make up a a story. You know, a nine-year-old, the father leaves the household and she's disappointed. She doesn't understand. Of course, the mom and the dad made the decision, but the girl feels abandoned. And then at 11, some of her good friends at school isolate her, don't want to be, let her be in the cool group that they're in. And she feels abandoned again. Uh, Then maybe at 13, you know, she has a a boyfriend and then suddenly he doesn't want to be a boyfriend anymore and she feels abandoned. So these are triggering incidents, right, that bring out those feelings. and, And as a result, is that what you're suggesting? These things happen? That is exactly what we're talking about. I'm so glad you brought up divorce. That is like a re-triggering of all the issues that happen. A lot of times we'll see binge eating as a result of that. And I have to say, parents, 
If that is what they're doing and there's not excessive weight gain or there's not a compensatory behavior like purging, try not to be too uh, hypervigilant about it and let, let a mentor or a therapist talk to them about that piece. Obviously, stay with them and be attuned to them and be supportive of them. But we don't even have to be intrusive about their behaviors. We have to. We want to focus more on the emotion and how we can just fill up the fill fill themselves up with their identity and their support system. But yes, divorce is a huge trigger. Yeah, divorce um, is a trigger. Yes. Let, let let me just talk about that for a moment, Doctor Conister. I think one of the pieces of advice we're giving to our listeners to help have strong children, and this applies to girls and to boys, of course, is not to be afraid to bring a therapist or a mentor into your life. I've had friends where they've been uh, in the process of divorcing or separating. And, you know, I'm a social psychologist. I don't (laughs) pretend to be a clinician. But I've always said if they feel that their kids are having a hard time with it and almost 100 percent of the time they are, even if they don't exhibit it, I have said Look for a counselor or a therapist for a short period of time or a long period of time so your kid has an opportunity to talk about their feelings. I think there's an expectation. Well, I'm so close to my daughter and my son. They'll talk Mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. No, they already think you're going through a terrible time because you're part of the divorce and they can see your emotionality. So they need somebody who's independent they can talk to. And, And I have to say, being an aunt myself, the sister, I'm not even sure another family member is the right. I think a trained external person uh, is really where you need to go. And you don't have to wait for a sign. In other words, the child doesn't have to necessarily act out. It can be proactive. I think it'd be great to have someone you can talk to. I know these are hard times. It's hard for me as your mom. I'm having a hard time. I'm going to suggest that we go to so-and-so and talk with a counselor about this. I hope you'll come. I hope you understand Don't you think you should be open like that and proactive as a parent? I completely agree. I think the biggest mistake right now is not actually outsourcing it. If you have Medi-Cal, it's free. You know, you can find ways to do a sliding scale fee. It doesn't have to be very expensive. A lot of treatment centers like ours will work with insurance somehow. So really outsourcing this is important, especially at this age. I think at any age, but you're right. I think not outsourcing at this time is is the biggest mistake. So to be open to that and trying it, family therapy is also really essential. And having your own therapist is essential. So, and if you don't, if you're not really into therapy, at least a life coach, something. And right. if you can frame it as adding. You don't, I'm very strength-based, um, solution-focused. You can do intensive trauma work with someone that does EMDR. Uh-huh. That's eye, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. They do incredible work for trauma. You can do that, or you can see an individual therapist um, for another reason, for depression, anxiety. So um, it's adding to your life. It's not necessarily fixing a problem, right? Exactly. It's being able to add to your life and give you more resilience. I think, frankly, we're in an era where it's it's understandable, right? There's anxiety about being a home at home, working from home, school from home, isolation. So there are good reasons. So let's let's talk about coping skills and how to make us all stronger. So that's the additive idea, a kind of a growth mentality, right? Exactly. You can always get better. Yes, and sometimes they'll they'll get uh, mentors. So you can hire a mentor or, like I said, a life coach or therapist. You can focus on your dreams, your aspirations. Tell them they're going for that, to be present and future-oriented. They don't necessarily have to hyper-focus on the past. There's this misconception that you have to use therapy for the past. It's what you make it, and you can, t- you can guide your therapist in how you want it. 
And if that's not a fit, you can find another therapist and interview them. But it can be about adding and, and being about your dreams, your aspirations. A lot of times we talk about contentment and the three prongs of contentment based on positive psychology are mm -hmm. connection, meaning and purpose and activity. So if you take inventory of those three areas of your life and see how you can build on all three, meaning and purpose, activity and connection, you'll start seeing some of those maladaptive, maladaptive behaviors melt away and you'll start seeing your identity be fuller. So that's really what we focus on. Let's talk about those three things, a meaning and purpose, activity and connection, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's a literature about trauma that I thought was interesting. It's called ACEs. And this is having uh, acute childhood uh, uh, traumatic experiences. It can be a death in the family. It can be a divorce. It can be an incident uh, uh, with a great deal of fighting or robbery in the neighborhood or in the house. And the more ACEs you have, the more of these experiences as a child, the worse it, it predicts in terms of outcomes in your lives, both health-wise and mental health. So I think parents also have to step back and think about, un, un, without them even um, controlling it, these traumatic events or can in fact affect your child. And as a parent, you don't see it happening necessarily, but you have to step back and think about, as you just said, meaningfulness and purpose, activity and connection. Uh, I want to talk about specific things people can do in all three of those areas in our next segment, because I think it's important for parents to have practical advice. I, you know, the theme of my show, the Renee Frazier show, besides why women is helping people lead and succeed. And that means succeeding as a mom and succeeding as a sister and an aunt, as well as succeeding as a business person. And I'm so excited because on this show, we have Dr. Kim Cronister, who is a clinical psychologist and head of Key Transitions, where they treat teenagers with issues related to substance abuse, anxiety, et cetera. And we're talking about it on the positive side. How do we frame it in a positive way? So stay tuned because we're going to be talking about three critical ways you can influence your child. One is meaning and purpose. Second is activity. And the third area is connection. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Renee Frazier Show. Welcome back to The Renee Frazier Show. Today, we're talking about how we can raise strong and resilient girls, particularly in today's world. We have on the show with us a, an expert in this area, Dr. Kim Cronister, who is head of Key Transitions, a special place you could go for teenagers. But the purpose of our show is to give you advice, practical advice. And we're going to cover now three areas that are important to think about as a parent to influence your child from a positive psychology perspective. One is meeting and purpose. Two is activity. And three is connections. So Dr. Cronister, let's talk about meaning and purpose. And, and that starts early, right? That can be involved in your child's life at seven, eight, nine, ten. You don't have to wait until they're a teenager and doing community service. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we'd like to give them sample platters. 
So maybe get them involved with people. They have one little seed of an interest, let's say, and they don't have to commit to it. They get to play with it. It's really about play, like you and I have talked about. It's playing mm. with an idea, a sample platter. So maybe you get them with someone that's been a pro skateboarder or someone that's a hip hop producer or someone that is an, in academia or someone that's going for you know architecture that they're into. So you get them these mentors or these people around, or maybe you even get them set up with like a Zoom call from someone that's you know international, whatever it is, get them exposed to that, where it's not just you telling about that, it's really them having that autonomy and playing with these samples of meaning and purpose. Um, meaning and purpose absolutely is about volunteering as well and philanthropy and work. Right. But because it, they're teenagers, we have to go with these little seeds of interest and right. play on it and get excited about all these little seeds and just start exposing them to that. So they might say, I don't really want to do that, whatever it is. It, here, I set this up. You know, Once you, you do, do it, it, they will like it. Let me share you. It, yes. It's so true. I have some personal examples. Yeah. Uh, early on with uh, my girls, I, uh, I've i been working my entire life. I took three or four months off when they were born, but I didn't, um, I didn't take a lot of time off while they were in school. And when they were in their 20s, I uh, said to them, early 20s, 21 and, and 19, one of them, I said, did I make a mistake? Was I, you know, working too hard? It's okay. You can tell me now. I'd like to know. And they said, no, they said, yeah, actually, we like seeing you happy and fulfilled. And the second thing they said was, you always told us what you were doing. And you had great purpose in your life, mom. You wanted to help women. You wanted to help families with your talk, read, seeing campaign. <clears throat> so I tell parents, talk about what you do and why you do it at the dinner table. Share with them. And just to go back to specific meaning and purpose, we role model for our kids, so it's okay to talk about it, but then also get them engaged. So when my kids were young, we would go and we would serve food at a homeless shelter on Thanksgiving. And we would volunteer at a homeless shelter to create a meal and or give out uh, school bags for kids. And at first, you're right. The girls would say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But as soon as we did it, they saw, wow, these are real people. We had a good time. It was fun. People were grateful. And frankly, bringing young people, they were like between ages eight and 12 at the time, bringing them into, uh, in one case, it's wise and healthy aging. In another case, it was Volunteers of America. The people who came in loved to hear the young people talk. Oh, tell us what you did for the summer. Where are you going to school? What grade are you in? It created a dialogue and a connection, and it gave meaning and purpose to their lives. I, you know, I think it's so important. It could even be Girl Scout cookies, right? Selling Girl Scout cookies and knowing that that money is going to help your, your troop be able to go on a uh, to visit another school, maybe to read to children at the library. There's lots of ways you can give back. And it seems small, like you just said, and it builds on a small interest, but it creates a great sense of confidence and fulfillment. And uh, I'm bigger than myself and I, I bring value to other people. And that's what you're looking for, right? You want people to feel like they're replenished by it, like they offer something just beyond their physical presence, their, their emotional connection and their commitment. I hope I haven't gone on too long, Dr. Chronister, but I'm trying to articulate for our audience what the benefit is. And these are small things, but they add up in the psyche of your teenager. Yes, you're absolutely right. So I have I have a close friend of mine who is a pillar of the AA community. And the thing about AA is um, 
you can't really discount it because it's really, it has meaning and purpose, activity and connection built into it. It's not for everyone, but it's one of those pieces. So my close friend always puts on uh, food drives at Skid Row. And even during the pandemic found ways to get the supplies over there. Right. Um, but it really, it turned her in, in, even when she was still on and using, she was still giving at that time. So it gave her a little bit of light and that spark is just this huge, she's a huge light and a huge pillar. And it, it fills her up just like with people that are in AA and they start sponsoring people because they start seeing themselves as a leader. Right. So that meaning and purpose starts giving you this full sense of identity because you're not no longer seeing yourself as someone that has less or that is in this, you know, dark depression or that is hopeless or helpless, you're starting to see yourself as a leader and a helper. So the sooner you can plant that seed, the better. Actually, we had a counselor yesterday uh, mention to someone who actually lapsed um, uh, on something. And he told him that same day that he lapsed on a, on a drug, he told him that same day, I see you as a leader. Uh-huh. That, you know, that teacher uh, self-fulfilling prophecy you tell them you see them as a leader, they light up and then their behaviors start lining up with being a leader. I love that. I think that's so important too for parents to think about saying that to your own child. I see you as a leader. I see you as a helper to other people. Um, One of my granddaughters who's six at school, uh, each week they choose what they call, I think is the uh, uh, mascot of the class. And during the week, you have to share something about your family on another day, your family heritage. On the last day, they draw an, a picture of the person, a silhouette, and all the kids in the class have to say something nice about that kid. So it's a nice chance to get compliments, right, to feel better about yourself. But the one that Simone got the most was you help the other kids when they don't understand what the teacher's saying. And you help us read the books. She's a a good reader in first grade. Uh, And it made her feel like a leader, right? And like a contributor. And her parents then at the dinner table said things like, well, now I see that you are a teacher to other people. You are a helper. And those words make you feel good as opposed to, oh, you look so cute today. Mm -hmm. right? You're so sweet. And those those are attributes that go into adulthood, right? They're not labeled as a four or five or six year old word. Mm. What I'm trying to say is these are important things for parents to be able to say to their children to create more of an identity of who they feel they can be and are. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about activity because that was the second area you said. And that's really getting out and doing something. You talked earlier about jujitsu, ice skating. Is it true that you don't have to be very good at it? It's just being involved in it and and going after it with uh, repetitive behavior uh, as a habit, something you really want to get better at and achieve? Absolutely. Yeah, there'll there'll be some adolescents that I've worked with that are perfectionists. So this is part of the activity is trying to combat that perfectionism. Go ahead and be in the moment. You don't have to be the best the first time. You know, challenge yourself, make that a, a challenge to yourself that you can be in the moment and not be the best at everything and still do it, still show up the next time and be consistent and habituate to that. And them seeing something through because right now they can be very manipulative um, adolescents. This is the time where they can play games and say they don't want to do this or there's a reason they can't do that. But this is the time to make them see, help them to see, see something through. See so it through, even if they're not the best at it, exactly. right? Because what happens is I'm not good at it. I don't want to do it anymore. Yep. Yep. But yeah. it's showing perseverance and getting better 
and it's okay not to be perfect at everything, right? That's yeah. the thing to learn. I think the other part of that is it's kind of nice to have your friends be better at something than you uh, if you're able to do that, right? That's one of the hard parts about being perfect. I, I think that is a syndrome a lot of girls fall into. Why, why do you think that is? Why do they expect to be perfect? Is that something coming from their parents? You know, that's a way to kind of control um, something that's internal when it's hard to in- control things that are external. Um, it can also be re- rewarded and reinforced, and it doesn't have to be a horrible thing. A lot of a lot of successful people have perfectionistic tendencies, OCD traits even. Um, the way it becomes maladaptive, as you know, is that they just don't start something because they feel right. like it won't be perfect. So if we can get them to just habituate to just seeing it through, just doing it little by little, hopefully it's something that's a bit palatable so they don't mind doing it, uh, that can start challenging those perfectionistic all or nothing thoughts. Absolutely. And, you know, in, in my case, um, another one is uh, my uh, one of my granddaughters loves horses. So she's starting to do that. And she's taken on now voluntarily, like helping out at birthday parties and helping out with the horses. So it's a physical activity where she can be good at it. It shouldn't have to be perfect, but it's something she comes back to every time. And it's an important activity. Another one was ice skating. My girls were never very good at it, but they loved it. And as a parent, it was a fun activity to do every weekend. And it was good. You know, they fall down, they're not able, but they get right back up. And boy, you really are strong. You are persevering. I can't believe how hard you're working. I'm really impressed. Again, ways parents can give positive feedback to their kids and help them power through some of the difficult parts of life. Let's talk uh, in our next section about connection, because I think that is also something parents can help build for their children to make them stronger from a positive psychology point of view. On this show, the Renee Frazier show, we're talking about how to make our girls stronger and more resilient, particularly in the pandemic. In this next section, we're going to be talking with Dr. Chronister of Key Transitions about how we build connection. And that's pretty hard during a pandemic when we haven't even been able to connect with people in real real situations for some time and when we're wearing masks. So stay tuned to learn more about connection. One of the three pillars, the first was meaning and purpose. Second was activity. And the third is connections in life. Stay tuned to learn more. You're listening to The Renee Frazier Show. Welcome back to The Renee Frazier Show. We're talking today about strong girls. How do we raise strong girls? What can we do better as parents? And we have a clinical psychologist who focuses on teens with us today, Dr. Chronister from Key Transitions, Dr. Kim Chronister. We are talking about the fundamental ways we have to think about as parents. How do I strengthen and give my daughter and my son what they need to be to be a happy, thriving individual as they grow up? And that third pillar after meaning, purpose and activity was connection. So tell us what you mean by connection, Dr. Chronister. Yeah, there's so many ways to find connection, but really it's if we already have, let's say, our unit, our uh, primary caregiver in the house, or maybe just our partner, whatever it is, we need to be able to branch out because we get autonomy in that validation. And so going out on our own and seeing that our peers accept us, it is 
it's very much a primitive need and we and we still need to be able to harness that so we can find that in in a really healthy work setting we can find that in a volunteer setting we can find it at school if it's a a school that has mostly people and counselors that are adaptive Mm -hmm. um, and helpful and making sure that that it's a healthy environment we can find it in organized sports Right. Uh, like we talked Being earlier. on a team, right? Yeah, and we can find it in therapy. Therapy, life coaching, mentoring. Um, another way that they can quickly get connection is to enter a program like I, like an IOP. That's Intensive Outpatient Program, IOP. IOP, you, Intensive mm-hmm. Outpatient Program. Key transitions. So you go that. in for outpatient treatment, but it's a therapy group that you're part of? Yeah, so it's three days a week. IOP across the board, no matter where you are in the country, IOP is a program where you can go in three days a week, uh, three to four hours a day, and they can do group therapy, family therapy, and individual therapy. And what happens is they have this social correction. So whether they're playing ping pong in between uh, at breaks um, or they're actually just getting that peer support during group therapy and obviously supervised by counselors, uh, that's where they get that social correction because they're getting this validation. People see me, they like me, they enjoy my company, and they're my age. And that way, they're not dealing with having to be over-sexualized or prove themselves in a maladaptive way. They're actually making recovery from depression, recovery from anxiety, recovery from substance use cool. So that is extremely beneficial. So right. wherever you are, if you can get your, your child, if they're very depressed, very anxious, or struggling with substance use issues or eating disorders, get them into an IOP. Look for an IOP for right. your kids. I think that's really smart. And we talked about parents being proactive. If you, Like you said, if you're seeing anxiety, and you can look these up online. And as you mentioned, even uh, Medi-Cal can help pay for these kinds yeah. of services for your kids. And there's no stigma. You're, part, you're just part of a group like other kids. I, I will say the other way to do this might be part of like a swimming team or jujitsu yes. team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other would be um, a church group, right? Yeah. Where you could be part of a connect with a group on a regular basis and do an activity with them. The other part of connections that I thought we should talk about is how do we broaden our children's perspective and relating to others, especially in terms of racial diversity? I think it's important that we deliberately look at what's the environment. And we, you know, the first place we turn is usually our schools to see if they're, you know, there's a diverse group of people in the school. But that isn't always the case. Like if, if it's a local school that may be based on just one neighborhood or whatever it may be. What other ways can we get racial diversity brought into our kids' lives through connections? Yeah, I think don't be afraid to go to different cities and explore different hobbies and sports in a different cities. Um, I, I will say my mom studied sociology uh, and she had she gave me, um, you know, Barbie dolls and dolls of, from different um, ethnicities. Right. And for me, I mean, that was just normative to me. I think I, I was a bit different than my peers that way. I was just very open, um, nonjudgmental in the moment. Um, but I think that because it's natural, right? When you play with those dolls and it just looks like, oh, say one's black, one's got brown skin. They're all, you know, and I can put the same shoes on each one of them and dress them up the same way and maybe have a beauty contest or a day at school or whatever the activity may be that you're competing. A beauty contest would be a bad idea. Sorry, I even said that. But when you said Barbie. Yeah, no, I understand. Well, some people people love fashion. That's okay. Yeah, Same so baby dolls, right? Yes. When they're little, that the mm-hmm. baby dolls are all different colors. The other thing I've seen people do is make sure that you have uh, people in your life, whether it's a school teacher, the pediatrician, the eye doctor, uh, that people from different backgrounds so that they become a, a normal part of your child's life. 
I like that a lot. I like them to be exposed to um, intellectuals, authors of different backgrounds, um, achievers, um, artists, yes. you know, all of it, because you need to not see one particular ethnicity as just one profession or as just one, you know, um, piece as far as their, you know, opinions. We have to understand that we do not go into things with assumptions. And that's across the board. Really countering assumptions can be so adaptive, so healthy. So helping them to work on getting rid of assumptions and being very open and curious and right. mental. Right. Uh, it and can that, feel really they, good. Exactly. Open and curious. Let's talk about some assumptions from a female point of view. Uh, one of the factors that I have seen in my life play out is fear of success. And I did my master's thesis on it at USC Amazing. Uh, in psychology. And this is the phenomenon where women or men, my research, I showed how men do it, but it's much more prevalent with women. They uh, underplay their achievements in order to be, be perceived as more attractive to men. And uh, girls are trained on this early. We see in that 10 to 12 year old period, girls stop paying as much attention to math. They don't seem as interested. And that's been stereotypically a male oriented skill set. So sometimes they don't show off their skills in order to be perceived as more attractive. At least that's the, the perception. I know you deal with this. Tell us your take on this. You know, when I'm working with, um, I've worked with a female adolescent uh, recently on this in the last couple of months. And so what was unfortunately happening was that she was getting into precarious situations that resulted in sexual encounters that were not warranted or not wanted. Okay. Um, and it was affecting her self-esteem more. And we know that 47% of female adolescents are struggling with self-esteem issues. And what can happen with that is it's, it's a breeding ground for being overly sexualized. And then that puts you in a category of people seeing you potentially as someone to be used or someone to be dated, but not respected. Mm -hmm. um, that does not, we do not blame the victim on that if there's any sexual trauma. However, when we're talking about self-esteem, we really want to be able to build their identity and get them to start ex getting excited about being respected. So what we do at Key Transitions is we actually integrate the boys and the girls, and we want the girls to be seen as one of the quote unquote boys or as an equal. Uh, we want them to play games together, sports. We want the, the boys to not see them as a potential love interest. And we talk right. about this openly. We want them to start getting excited about being respected for their intellect, for their sports skill set, for their musical talent. And, and the therapists start reinforcing them that for that specifically. So if you want to reinforce something, it'd be anything besides uh, what they're doing that's aligned with um, something that's maladaptive on social media. But yeah, that's what we reinforce. We integrate the boys and girls and we can do that collectively at a sport, a hobby, an IOP, whatever yes. it is, so that they start cultivating that at, in their teens so that that starts playing out in their 20s and 30s. So what I hear you saying is their identity is based on accomplishments, things they are doing, things that are interesting to them and the fun things in life rather than on their sexuality. Unfortunately, there is a tendency in our culture for that to be the go to place for girls, right, to be attractive and to be sexy. I've mentioned before on this show that even when we talk to younger children, uh, it's so easy when you see a little girl to say, oh, you look so cute and so sweet sweet in that dress. And that sends the wrong signal. That means the way I'm dressing, the way I look is what's dominating your impression of me, as opposed to, I love your smile and your energy. 
boy, you are really good at throwing that ball. And you don't even have to say anything about the clothing. It comes to our heads, but we have to monitor what we say to our children. I completely agree. And even as an ad- as adults, we have to reframe because a lot of times you'll you'll get someone that's more elevated. Now you start attracting someone because you're so passionate about your particular career or your writing or your whatever it is that you're engaged in. Now you start elevating what what is attracted to you. So this could be someone that you never imagined that was going to be attracted to you. And they're so elevated in their energy or in their passion and their drive. So you start attracting people that are on that level. And that's just so much more adaptive if you are highly passionate. And I will say too, people worry about being rejected after breakups or yes. before breakups. And one of the biggest things you can do is start harnessing your identity, whether you're not adolescent or adult. And that way people are, are not as likely to push you away because you're so filled up inside and you have more resist- resilience if you are going to be facing some kind of rejection because you're- Harness you're, your identity, you're saying. Yes, yes. Yeah, build up your, your reserves internally. Right. Exactly. And, and some of that comes from, I think, the three things that we talked about. We're getting close mm-hmm. to the end of the show here. So one was meaning and purpose. And as parents, we have to build that into our kids lives and acknowledge it real early on. The second one was uh, activity giving them activities, things they can do. And particularly for girls where you feel strong sense of self-esteem and it's not related to your physical appearance right, or your sexual attractiveness. And the third one was connection. Uh, IOP is a great idea. The intensive outpatient groups that you could be a part of. Are there other last pieces of advice you'd like to share? And then please give us the website information so people can find out more about key transitions for their own teenagers. Absolutely. So I think that the other piece that we're seeing is very exciting to adolescents right now is is the arts. So we bring in people that are trained in drawing and we brought we bring in a highly trained um, professional hip hop producer. Um, And right now that's really resonating with kids. So if you can do that on your own or you do it at an IOP like ours, um, it's keytransitions.com. And we're happy to integrate and help build that resilience. Well, thank you. That's been Dr. Kim Cronister, who's been talking with us from a clinical psychologist perspective on how we can raise strong girls and some of the very difficult issues that are facing girls and teenagers in particular in our time of of the pandemic. We talked a lot about trauma and we talked about the impact of that and the ways parents can be proactive in getting their child into a counseling session and framing it as an additive component, a way to make their lives even happier and better, not necessarily as a correction or something we have to fix. So I hope today you've learned how do you increase the likelihood of your daughters being stronger, happier, and thriving and being um, engaged as a parent and intentional and purposeful. And don't forget those three pillars, meaning and purpose, activity, and connections. You've been listening to the Renee Frazier Show, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention I run an advertising and marketing firm called Frazier Communications. If you're looking for help in marketing or advertising, check out our website, FraserCommunications.com, and you can find our podcasts on that website as well. Thank you for listening to the Renee Frazier Show. Have a good week ahead and good luck raising those strong daughters. 